The following message was given by Raymond Goodlett on Sunday, March 19th at Redemption Hill Church. For more information about the church, visit us online at www.redemptionhill.com. So she, that is Naomi, set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, go, return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant you that you may find rest, each of you in the house of her husband. And then she kissed them and they lifted up their voices and wept. Now pause for a moment. These women really love each other. You can see that in the way they're interacting. This is not easy for them. They're facing the very real possibility that they won't ever see each other again. And so in verse 10, the daughters-in-law respond and they said to her, no, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, turn back my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons? in my womb that they might become your husbands? No, turn back, my daughters. Go your way, for I'm, I'm too old to have a husband. I mean, even if I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait till they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. We'll pause there for a moment. We'll actually come back next week to deal with Naomi's view of God and, and where God is and all of her suffering and how she views that and speaks of him. And we'll, we'll touch on a lot of that next week. We'll continue today in verse, verse 14. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And then Naomi said, see, your, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where, where you die, I will die and there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more also. By the way, pause. Here you have a young Moabite woman from her pagan background referring to the God of Israel as the Lord by his covenant name Yahweh. Something has happened in Ruth's heart. She has begun to think and speak about the Lord differently. Something is happening in her. And she says here, it, in the end of verse 17, may the Lord do so to me and more also if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. Literally in the Hebrew, it says she stopped talking to her. Now let's pray and ask God to help us. Heavenly Father, please help us to hear what your Holy Spirit is saying to us through your, your scripture, through your word and let it have your, your desired effect upon us. 
And to borrow a, a prayer from one of the saints of old, Lord, what we know not teach us, what we have not give us, and what we are not make us. And we ask that in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Now, I, if I had to title today's message, I would entitle it, Love That Will Not Let Me Go, which is, which is much better than some of the alternatives we considered, uh, like how to lose a daughter-in-law in 10 days and and you're giving me a million reasons to let go. Like we, we'd have copyright problems with that one. But if I had to title it, it would be Love That Will Not Let Me Go. And I, I don't know exactly at what point in the journey Naomi decides I need to think about this a little bit more and she starts to have second thoughts. My guess, my guess is that as she sets out on this journey with her daughters-in-law, she gets to a point that's it, it's, it's close enough to Moab that if Ruth and Orpah decide to turn back, they can, and it's not that far away. But it's far enough away from Moab that if Ruth and Orpah try to convince Naomi to stay, she's not gonna be as tempted. She's already gone enough of the distance that she, she just needs to keep going. So wherever that point was, Ruth, or rather Naomi, begins to have some second thoughts. And, and I think she starts to realize this is different for these two young women than it is for me. I'm going back home. I, I know what it's like there. I have relatives there. I'm a widow. I don't have husband or sons to, to care for me, but, but my God has wired his people to care for people in my situation. And I think she starts to realize, even practically, it's a lot easier to care for one widow than it is to care for three. I think she starts to realize that even ethnically and racially, there are reasons to, to rethink this thing. I mean, they are Moabite women. When I think about their prospects of, of actually marrying somebody and, and having two Bethlehem boys look at them and say, yes, we will take them as wives, I, she, she's probably thinking this is a little bit different of a trip for them than it is for me. Have you ever, have you ever been in a setting where you were keenly aware of the fact that you were an underrepresented minority? Because some of you are saying, of course, I, I, I do that every week when I come here. And, and I, I know exactly what that feels like at times. I remember when Heather and I got engaged. This is back in uh, 2005. We had gotten engaged in October, and it was either the end of November or early December. We, we were going down to her cousin's wedding in Georgia. Now, and this is not Atlanta, Georgia. I've been there many times. This was LaGrange, Georgia. I'd never heard of LaGrange, Georgia. Uh, this for me was the deep south, right? And, and you understand what that means. And for those of you just listening, I'm black. You can't, can't tell. But uh, we were going down there, and then I heard that all the events related to the wedding were in a country club in LaGrange, Georgia. Now, the people there were wonderful to me and everything, that, but, but my apprehensions in going were, were one thing. How they treated me was another, right? They received me with open arms, but I didn't know that was going to happen. I was the only black person there not serving food or playing an instrument. And I was keenly aware of that. I imagine Orpah and Ruth were keenly aware of the fact that they were going to Bethlehem. And they understood what that meant for them. So Naomi maybe had all these things going on in her mind, maybe not, 
I don't know, but we do know some of the things that were going on in her mind. Some of the reasons that she thought it would be better for her daughters-in-law to turn back to Moab as opposed to going with her to Bethlehem. And what I want to do with the rest of our time is is look at a few things. First, Naomi's repeated plea to her daughters-in-law. Then their different responses to her. And lastly, what God wants to show us or teach us through each one of these three women. So let's start with Naomi's repeated plea back in verse eight. She says to them, go, go back to your mother's house. I have nothing to offer you. She, I, it's interesting and she, she speaks in, in the way that she knows how to speak using at the very least religious language. The Lord deal kindly with you. The Lord grant you rest in the home of a husband. And they refuse. Now at this point in verse 10, I think that this is very genuine. Again, they love each other. Orpah and Ruth are joined and they say, no, we're not, we're not, we're, look, we're going with you. We love you. We don't want you to suffer alone. We, we are going with you to your people. And she continues to plead with them. Why, why would you go with me? I mean, look, I'm old. I have nothing to offer you. I mean, I've, I've got to go there to try to survive on the mercy and the benevolence and just goodwill of others. I, I, ha- I have nothing to offer you. you. Don't you understand when and where we live and where we're going? Do you, do, you, do you not remember what I've told you about Bethlehem? You're Moabite women. These men are not looking for you. They're looking past you. And all your hope for material possession or pr- provision rather, it, it depends upon you getting married. Or maybe having sons who will provide for you in your old age. I, I can't do that for you. I'm too old. Even, even if, grant this, even if for argument's sake, Naomi says, even if God would send me a husband tonight and I should conceive and bear sons, it takes a while for them to get to the place where they can actually be your husbands. Would you wait? And she makes an allusion there to something that you can read about in the Bible called the Leveret Marriage. You know, it mentions it there in, in Deuteronomy, I believe. I think it's chapter 25, but you can go back and, and look that up for, for yourself. But she, she actually begins to speak to them and, and says, look, uh, it's gonna take a while. Look, you are much better off going back to Moab to your people. And she prevails on Orpah. After this repeated plea, we start to get to the responses, the different responses of her daughters-in-law. Orpah listens to this in verse 14 and look at it again. They all wept, they lifted up their voices, they wept again. A lot of weeping going on in here. A lot of dying last week, a lot of crying this week. This happens in my house sometimes, I told the earlier service. Yeah, a lot of weeping sometimes, and I don't know why. I ask, why, why are you crying? Dad, Dad, I don't know. Okay, I'll leave that right there. I, I don't know either, and... and uh, I'm just gonna kinda go back to my corner before I start crying. But they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. We look at Orpah for a minute. With all of the sincere affection that she has for Naomi, with all of her exposure to people who are part of God's covenant community, with all of her genuine love for that individual who had become like a mother to her, with all of her desire to accompany her so that she does not feel destitute and suffer alone anymore, 
Orpah cannot fathom the thought of a future that does not grant her or, or guarantee her a husband and children, that does not give her the comforts of home and a familiar place. She, she can't go forward. As much as she truly loves Naomi, she kisses her and she turns back. And with that, she walks right off the pages of the Bible. You never hear of Orpah again. Not, not until a, a young woman was born recently in Mississippi by the name of Orpah and changed her name to Oprah, but that's, a, that's another story entirely. But you never hear of Orpah ever again in the Bible. And the way I like to think of it, the Bible doesn't tell us, the way I like to think of it is she goes back and she actually gets everything she's looking for. She finds a husband. This time around, she has children. She knows those joys. She's back around friends and family. She's in a familiar place. She's comfortable. And she gets all of that, but that's all she gets. And all of that for her comes at the expense of a relationship with the one true God. She put those two things on the scale. Here's God, here's everything else, and she chooses the latter. Because where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And she goes in the direction of her heart, the same way we all do. You can dabble with religion all you want, you will always go in the direction of your heart. You will not avoid it. If your heart is not with Christ, you will not continue with him. And if your heart is with Christ, nothing will ever be able to turn you away. Orpah turns away from, from the one true God, from his people, and from the promises that he bestows upon them in that land, and she goes back home to what is familiar. Ruth has a very different response to her mother-in-law's pleading. She clings to Naomi. And that word, she clung to him, is the same word you see in Genesis 2, verse 24, where it talks about, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and hold fast or cleave to his wife. It is a word that doesn't imply a marriage covenant, but it is a word which speaks about the commitment that you find in a marriage covenant. Ruth clings to Naomi and holds fast to her in the same way that those who are making a marriage covenant would hold fast for all their lives. This was at the very minimum on Ruth's part a lifelong commitment. And what I want to do is just look a little bit at the very commitment Ruth is making to Naomi and show you a couple of things that we don't want to miss. Starting there in verse 16, Ruth says, don't, don't urge me to turn back. I'm not going anywhere for where you go, I will go, and where you lodge, I will lodge. That, now that is a, a, that's part of the commitment we make to each other when we're getting married. Where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. For better or worse, whether it annoys you or not, I'm going to be there. You're stuck with me, right? There it is. And it is a lifelong commitment. The commitment that Ruth makes to Naomi, however, goes well beyond something that is simply for as long as you both shall live. Listen, listen to what she says here. She keeps going. She says, more than that, your people will be my people. 
Now, I don't know about some of you. I've actually helped lots of young couples get married. They love each other. I mean, I watch them look into each other's eyes. I have a front row seat as they're exchanging vows. And I mean, it's just, so, it's, it's one of my greatest joys to watch a, a, a groom standing there, watching his bride come down the aisle, looking at his face, the, you know, the couples who cry, and then when they're exchanging vows, it's, I, I never get tired of it. But I am telling you that as much as they love and enjoy each other and are making a commitment to each other, I, I have, and I won't name names, but I have seen couples who look at their in-laws and cannot make this statement, your people will be my people. I'm just gonna be real. But see, but see, when you get married, you have to do that. No, it, it, it doesn't matter. Your people are my people. We are one, and now your family is my family. Your people are my people. It's not dependent upon how they treat me. It's not dependent upon whether or not they do things the way I do. Your people will be my people. And you know something? You can see that Ruth, to put it in the common Christian vernacular, has gotten saved. This is what real conversion and real salvation looks and sounds like. It's not just a commitment to a friendship or a relationship with the person who introduced her to the Lord. It's not just a commitment to Naomi, where you go, I will go, where you lodge, I will lodge. She actually says, your people will be my people. If you are following Christ, if you are following Jesus and you are right now somewhere between where he found you and where he's taking you, just like Ruth is here following Naomi back to Bethlehem, and she's somewhere between where Naomi found her and where Naomi has taken her. If you're, if you're on that journey with Jesus Christ, he will not allow you to continue to say, Jesus, I will take you, but I want nothing to do with your people. Christians love to say this kind of thing today. I'm cool with Jesus. It's, it's me and Jesus. He's wonderful. But this church, they mistreat people. They mistreat me. They, they, they don't talk to me. They, they don't do this for me. They, and there's so much fault that we tend to find with God's people and then use it as an excuse for having nothing to do with them. Jesus refers to the church as his bride in one part of the Bible or in, in a number of parts of the Bible. Do, do you think Jesus enjoys hearing his bride insulted? Married men, do you enjoy if people insult your bride? Some of you are ready to fight now and I'm just throwing out hypothetical situations. <laughs> no, we don't stand for that kind of thing. And, and even while Jesus patiently endures us, believe me, beloved, he takes no joy in hearing us slander and insult his bride, the church. No joy at all. You cannot have Jesus if you will not have his people. They are one. Are you all with me? Ruth goes beyond all of this, and this is to me the most amazing part of the commitment. She says, where you die, I will die. Now that just seems to flow with everything else she's saying, unless you stop for a minute, and like Robert says, read it like a human. Naomi is old, Ruth is young. Naomi will most likely die before Ruth. And then Ruth will have a decision to make. Do I stay here in the land of Naomi or do I go back? Ruth says, where you die, 
I will die. Even if you die tomorrow, Naomi, I'm not going back to Moab. This is what real salvation sounds like. The people who introduced me to the Lord were in a cult. They were in a Bible-based cult. They, they had so many facts about the Christian religion straight and no concept or affinity for grace at all. And when they all turned away from grace, I, I just looked at them and I said, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm not going. I have seen the Lord Jesus for myself. I, I'm grateful that y'all sat down and read the Bible with me and helped introduce me to Jesus, but you're walking away from him now and I'm not going with you. I'm not going back to life apart from grace. No. See, see when you truly meet the Lord Jesus Christ, even if everyone else around you falls away from him and departs and finds everything else more attractive, you say that that's it. Like the song, though none go with me, yet I will follow. Ruth had a commitment that went far beyond Naomi. She was committed to Naomi's God and to that God's people. And that is, that is how it must be for us as Christians as well. Our commitment must go far beyond the friends or the relatives who introduced us to Jesus and go all the way to Jesus himself and be equally committed to his church. We can see those responses and and then finally I wanna take a look at what we can learn. What does God want us to learn from each, each one of these three women? And I'll start with Orpah and go to Naomi and then we'll end with Ruth. But if you look at Orpah, Orpah is a great picture of what I was just alluding to. If you're here and you're not a Christian, um, you, you know a little bit of what it's like maybe to be in Orpah's position. We can, we can find a little bit of ourselves in Orpah whether we're Christians or not, but if you're not a Christian, then you know perhaps what it is to be willing to have close friendships with people who do know God who do identify as Christians, who really are sincerely following Jesus Christ as believers and as Christians, but you yourself won't go there. You, you remain intentionally outside of that. I remember in our old house back in, uh, in the West End over here, I was pruning our tree one year, and I remember Heather came home, and I was excited about what I had done, and I, I went to town on that tree. I mean, I, I don't even know if you can call that thing pruning, you remember? I mean, I, I hacked away at the limbs on that tree and Heather came back and saw it. And I, I, I kid you not, it was, they, she lifted up her voice and wept. It was, what happened to my tree? What happened to my tree? And I, I, what do you mean? I pruned it. So there's the tree and thanks be to God, spring came around and everything was all right. There was still life in the tree. Green leaves appeared. And then I looked as summer started to roll around. I, I looked at the tree and I noticed there was this, there's this one branch that didn't have any leaves on it. And I went closer and I looked at what was happening and, and I un, I, when I got there, I looked at it and I realized that was one of the, the branches I had pruned but I had forgotten to remove it. It was separated from the rest of the tree and therefore it had no life in it. It was still hanging out with all the other branches that did have life running through their veins but that branch itself had no life. 
some of us can be like Orpah, hanging out with people who truly do have the life of God flowing through them. Hanging out with Jesus' branches. He says, I'm the vine and you are the branches. We're there in the midst, we're in the crowd, but there's no life in us because there's no personal connection between us and the Lord Jesus Christ. If that's you, I, I pray that you would sense that this morning and that you would realize that hanging out with Christians and coming to things like this does not in and of itself put the life of Jesus in you. You must come to him by faith. If we are Christians, at least think of ourselves as Christians, we can still be like Orpah in another sense, right? We can find ourselves in a position where we're starting to feel like I've, I've tried this Christian thing and I've gotten as far down the road as I'm willing to go. I'm starting to look ahead and, and at this point it's starting to look like continuing down this road with Jesus and his people is going to prevent me from enjoying some of the things that I think would bring me the most happiness. I'm starting to develop what they call FOBO today. Fear of better options. And I want to keep my options open. And you're feeling the temptation to turn away from Christ and his people and to go back to what you once knew as life where things are starting to look greener. Friends, if that's you today, is that you? Is that you? I, I, I beg you to turn around. Are you looking across that precipice? Are you, are you thinking you'll improve your situation by walking away from Christ or his people? Are you taking steps in that direction now? You say, I don't know, pastor, how, how, how would I know? Well, let me, let me throw it to you this way. Are you becoming increasingly comfortable with being absent from the gathering of God's people like this on Sundays? There are little ways to know you're moving in the wrong direction. Friends, if that's you, I beg you, turn around. We don't have to end as Orpah. We don't have to end as Orpah did. By God's grace, we can cling to Christ just as Ruth clings to Naomi here. The last thing I would want for anyone in this room to discover is the answer to the, the question that Jesus posed to us in Matthew 16, 26. I don't want you to find the answer out the hard way, that is. Jesus said, what will it profit a man to gain the whole world but forfeit his very soul? Friends, there's nothing at the end of that road. Turn back now while there's still time and opportunity. And lastly, we can see a little bit of ourselves in Ruth as well. Just like Ruth began in her paganism over in Moab, all of us began as outsiders to the grace of God in the gospel. All of us were born separated from God in sins, in trespasses, and Ephesians 2 says that while we were yet dead in those sins and trespasses, God made us alive with Christ. Like the rest of the people in the world, the Bible says we were by nature objects of God's wrath. We were deserving of the punishment that he would visit upon sinners. We were sinners by nature and sinners by choice and just, justly would God pour out his condemnation upon us. But God who is rich in mercy, and by the way, if, if you're not a Christian in here this morning, what I'm going to say may sound like, like religious talk to you. If you are a Christian this morning, it's going to resonate with your soul 
And if you find yourself walking in this morning knowing that you yourself do not consider yourself to be a Christian, that you're not a believer, but somehow what I'm about to say rings true with you, then it means that God's at work in your heart to bring you to himself. Because I'm about to use vocabulary and say things that some of these people will immediately recognize. They would be able to open a book to Ephesians chapter two, locate it for you, show you what I'm talking about. But, but if this makes sense to you, God is doing in your heart probably what he did in Ruth's. Because God who is rich in mercy because of the great love with which he has loved us, made us alive with Christ when we were yet dead in sin and trespasses. It is by his grace that we have been saved. It is by grace that we have been saved. It is the gift of God. It comes through faith in Christ. It's not, of any, it's not because of anything we've done. It's God who has done it. He did that in Ruth's heart. He may be doing it in yours right now. If that made sense to you at all, would you consider this morning that God is at work to save you? From what? From the ultimate consequences of sin, from yourself, from everything you would get yourself into in the future. He's here to save you and to bring you to himself for eternal life and eternal joy. We can see a little bit of ourselves in each one of these three ladies this morning, whether Orpah, Naomi, or Ruth. But watch this. I think the best part of it all is we can look at Ruth and not only see ourselves, but we can see Jesus too. May the Lord open our eyes to see Jesus just like Ruth gave it all up for Naomi. She looked at the future and said, there's nothing here for me. She actually believed that when Naomi told her, there's nothing for us here, Ruth. When Ruth went to, to Bethlehem, it wasn't, you know, she's old. I mean, what does she know? I look pretty good. I can snag one of those Bethlehem boys. It wasn't, it wasn't like that. It, it was, I, I think you're probably right, Naomi, but I'm willing to lay my life down so that you don't have to die alone so that you don't have to die separated from love. I'm willing to lay down my life for you. See, Ruth's sacrificial love for Naomi shows us, in, in a way, Jesus' own sacrificial love for us. When, when Ruth leaves her home in Moab to join Naomi, it's just like Jesus left heaven and came and said to us, where you lodge, I will lodge. See, where you live, I will live. Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. And thanks be to God, Jesus was not simply buried, but he was raised. But we can, we can hear an echo or a foreshadowing of what he was going to say to us and do for us in the words of Ruth here. More than that, we look, and, and you can imagine Naomi looking at her life and fearing that Ruth would be better off without her. Ruth, why would you go with me? I've got nothing for you but my emptiness. Why would you leave and, and go with me? You've got such a bright future ahead of you over there. Which is astonishing to me, by the way. Isn't it sad that Naomi would actually look at Ruth and tell her to go back after her sister-in-law and go back to the false gods of Moab? Isn't, isn't that amazing? That she would actually fear more that they would be separated from the embrace of a man that they, than that they would be separated from fellowship with God? Doesn't that creep in on us at times like Naomi? I mean, we, we get this thing also. Sometimes we get this thing on us where we think, you know, Jesus, I'm looking at myself just like Naomi kind of looked at how she would drag Ruth down. We look at ourselves and we say, Lord, 
I'm pretty sure you can do better than me. <laughs> I, I'm looking at myself, my past, what I think of the future. I, I think you can do better than us. I mean, look around. Look at, look at you. Look at Jesus' church. Haven't you ever had that thought, Jesus, I, you can do much better off without us? Of course you have. We, we look at Jesus and we, we think we'll bring his name down. We'll drag him down with us. We, we say, Lord, why will you go with us? Why do you stay with us? And, and here's, here's what I, I said everything else to say this today. Here's the good news. Jesus continues with us because of what I'm about to show you in John chapter six, verse 37. Turn there. We, he could look at his church and Jesus could say, at the very least, I've got, as the song says, a hundred million reasons to walk away. But sometimes you need just one good one to stay. And, and here, I'm gonna give you one good reason Jesus has to stay with his people, to stay with you and to stay with me. Right after telling the crowds he was the bread of life, he says, all that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will what? Never cast out. All right, if you've been sleeping, I'll chalk that up to my voice. But wake up now and pay very close attention. All that the Father gives me, Jesus says, will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Not just, I won't cast them out for a month or a year, but everybody, never cast out. If you have come to Jesus for forgiveness and eternal life, he will never cast you out. And it's, it's not because you're so wonderful. It's not because you're so inherently full of goodness. It's not because I'm starting to get things right. It's because his father gave us to him. Everybody look, look with me. You, if you are a Christian, have been given to Jesus by the Father. You didn't just pick yourself up and go, you were given. All that the Father gives me, that's first, all that the Father gives me will come. First you're given by the Father, then you will come to Jesus. Everybody catch that? God gives us first, then we come. And if you have kids, you'll understand this. We have a lot of artwork in our house, up on our walls. Those pieces of art, if you were to look at them and compare them to stuff you see in a museum, you might not be too impressed. But we love no piece of art more than the one that came to us from our children. You see, what causes us to keep and to treasure that artwork is the one from whom it came and our love for that person. What causes Jesus to keep and to treasure us 
is the fact that we have come from the one he loves more than anyone. You are secure eternally in your relationship with God because you have been given to him by the Father. Yes, you're right. When he looks at you, he has a hundred million reasons to walk away. You're absolutely right about that. But if you think he will walk away, you're wrong because you were given to him by the Father. Ladies and gentlemen, this has to live in your heart. You say, Pastor, don't tell them that. If they think they're secure, they'll go off and they'll sin and they'll think they're secure in their sin and they'll just come back and they'll take him for granted. Don't tell them they're secure. We've got some magnets in our house and, and you know how magnets work. If I put a piece of paper right here and a paper clip over here and I point that magnet at the piece of paper, it won't attract it. But if I point it at the paper clip, that clip just gets closer and closer and clings to the magnet. If I tell you you're secure in your relationship with God and that does not attract you to him, you just found out what you are. You are the kind of person that does not truly love God as much as you love the rest of this world. But if I tell you you're secure in Christ and you say, I must more deeply know and enjoy the one that made me secure, now you know who you are. The spirit testifies with your spirit that you are a child of God and if a child of God, you are an heir heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him that we might also share in his glory. You just found out who you are and praise God if you found out that you're, you ever, have you ever been so happy to be a paperclip? Friends, this is how God changes us and makes us into his very own. How he tells us that we are secure in him. And you get to the point where this lives in your heart and you start to sing songs differently. Those old songs you've always, always heard in church, you, you start to sing that this is what I now have in Christ. No guilt in life, no fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me. From life's first cry till final breath, Jesus commands my destiny. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand until he returns or calls me home. Here in the power of Christ I stand. And that is where we will stand. Because it, it, the, the paper clip doesn't have to muster up the strength to stick with the magnet. The power to keep the, the paper clip is in the magnet. Yes, you could lose your salvation if it was yours to lose, but Jesus is able and willing to keep you. Lord, let's pray. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. We thank you that you not only forgive us and change us, but you keep us. 
You cling to us more tightly, Jesus, than Ruth clung to Naomi here in this passage. And in that is our hope. Lord, you are, when we're thinking straight, you are worth more to us than anything else this world has to offer. And if it came down to a choice between everything this world could offer us on one side and you on the other, Lord, I I just pray that you would turn us to embrace you. That we would realize that godliness with contentment in this life is great gain. And help us to say along with the Apostle Paul that we would consider all other things lost for the sake of knowing you. And we ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. You've been listening to a message by Raymond Goodlett given at Redemption Hill Church in Richmond, Virginia. For more information on the church and to hear other messages, please visit us online at www.redemptionhill.com.